0: and Deb is going to lead us in our scripture reading today. If you have your Bible with you or want to grab the pew Bible, this is John chapter 11, verse 28. John chapter 11, verse 28.
1: Lazarus, Lazarus has died, and he's been in the tomb, and Jesus finally arrives, even though he knew ahead that he was dying. When she, and that's Martha, when she had said this, she went back to call her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she had heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews that came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the, uh, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone was lying across it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God. Thanks be to
0: God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Deb. Doesn't Deb just do a great job? We're so blessed by you, Deb. Well, so this year and during Lent, uh, we've been talking about grief, sort of a weird thing to talk about during Lent. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you see why. Uh, so, Mayo Clinic uh, defines grief. Mayo Clinic defines grief as the natural response to the emotional pain of loss. Makes sense, right? The natural response to the emotional pain of loss. And so, life. We would all agree, I think, that life is packed full of loss. It's packed full of loss. From the moment that we can start to understand what loss even is or what it feels like, maybe especially from what it feels like, we're experiencing loss, loss of what was, loss what we hoped for. We've especially experienced a dramatic sense of loss since the beginning of the pandemic four years ago. That's when I started to hear a lot of encouragement from church leaders that I listened to or or follow, so to speak, talking about grieve your losses because they've been great. Going back all the way to the things like not being able to worship here in person or friendships or relationships that may become strained because of differences about masks or whatever. All of that stuff, they were, those were all losses that we were experiencing. And every single loss that's significant to us, that means something to us, creates this emotional pain that can move us into the the different stages of grief. So do you remember the stages of grief? You know what they are, the five different stages? They're not in any particular order. Some may say they're in a particular order, but I think we can start grieving in any one of these. Uh, Maybe the four, because the last one is acceptance. Denial, anger, deep sadness or, or, or like depression, bargaining with God, or maybe it's even thinking like, well, if I did this, then God will will bless me. Or if I did this, maybe God will bless me. That's kind of bargaining as well. Like God will answer my prayer if I am a good person. And where did I leave off? Bargaining, sadness, anger, and denial, right? Yeah, and so we move in and out of all those different stages. And the last one is acceptance. And this is what I've learned about grief, is that the idea is not that we, we get to acceptance and then we're fine, we never have to grieve our losses ever again, no, actually things will trigger that grief response in you again. And the hope is that now you'll move through those stages more quickly and land in more prolonged stages of acceptance. Does it make sense? Yeah? And we have to be kind to ourselves when we say, gosh, I'm back at anger. I'm back in depression. I'm back at denying myself through some kind of self-medicating or something like that. Uh, It's okay. Now how can I move through it? See friends, some losses are obvious and therefore I would say they're easier to move through uh, that, those, that grief and then move towards acceptance. Like when someone lives into their late 80s and 90s and then passes away. That's a lot easier to accept that emotional pain, isn't it? It's a lot easier to grieve those losses and to move through it. But some losses are less clear and they're more difficult to move through. Some can really... Uh, knock us off our feet or sort of knock the spiritual wind out of us. The loss of a spouse versus the loss of an opportunity or teenager's experience without identifying it as grief. The loss of innocence. How did I do that? Is this really who I am? The loss of identity as we move into retirement or some other significant life change. The loss of employment. The loss of how we thought the world operates. Or the loss of what we thought about God. Maybe the loss of hope. These are all different losses that create a sense of emotional pain and can push us into a grief response. So I wonder, before we go any further today, I wonder what that loss might have been for you lately. Maybe you can think back to the pandemic. Sometimes we can carry losses that go back decades And they stay with us as long as we don't grieve them. Maybe that loss is really fresh for you right now. Something that's causing emotional pain. What is that for you? Carry it in your mind. Think about what sparks this feeling of powerlessness. Like, I can't do anything about this. It invokes anger or bitterness depression, or some kind of numbing or avoidant behavior. Does something obvious come to mind for you? If so, you're human. (laughs) That's good. And this is difficult work. This is hard, slow work. That's why I decided to do five plus weeks on grief. Because we can't just hear one short sermon about uh, grief that you know you might not even hear some of the other ones, and just be okay. This is a process, and it takes intentional work. And so, we've been talking about grief during Lent because, friends, following Jesus actually involves loss. Following Jesus involves loss. We actually willingly accept loss as a part of the cost of discipleship. It's true for all growth and change, really. If you decide to grow in some area, you have to let go of some part of who you used to be either your habits or your way of life or your way of thinking or what's important to you you have to let that go and so it involves loss but this is especially true for following jesus jesus says in the book of luke whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple Carrying the cross is like some sort of loss. It's grieving. It's suffering. It's some sort of painful experience. And Jesus also says, just a few verses later, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up your possessions. I don't think Jesus is only talking about like take our stuff and bring it down to Grace Thrift Store. He's just emphasizing this important point that following Jesus generates loss. And so if loss is generated, then it's going to evoke some sort of emotional pain. As we follow Jesus, we will experience pain. And that can keep some of us stuck and say, we don't want to open our hearts more to Jesus because I don't want to experience loss. Todd Wolsinger, author and pastor, says that people don't resist change in the church. He's talking specifically about the church. He says people don't actually resist change, they resist loss. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because loss is painful. So friends, we need to identify those losses that we're experiencing, and maybe that one that you're holding in your mind and heart right now. We need to identify those losses and grieve them and intentionally try to let them go. Because if we don't, those losses accumulate actually in our bodies is what psychologists say about grief and especially trauma, that it accumulates in our bodies. But it can, just in a more simple way of thinking about it, it can accumulate in our hearts and harden them. The Bible talks a lot about a hardening of heart. And what a hardened heart does is it blocks out everything. It blocks out a willingness to receive God's truth or to receive God's grace. It also keeps us safe and protected and in charge of our lives. We harden our hearts through fear. Through giving in to fear, we harden our hearts through isolation, which is a huge problem in our world today. It's like a pandemic of its own. The Surgeon General is putting out warnings and, and encouragement to people. I never would have thought this was reality. To use your social muscles. That's what the Surgeon General of the United States is saying right now. It is a serious problem. Isolation, resentment, cynicism, all these things harden our hearts. And so we need to create space in our hearts and, and soften them through grieving, through letting, uh, in order to let the love of Christ and other people in to our grief. So I find it comforting to know that Jesus is experienced in this area of grief. Don't you find that comforting? That Jesus grieves. Yes, God grieves. We can look to all the, we can look to the scriptures and see. That God identifies with our emotional pain and grief. Yes, God grieves. God grieves when people place idols above God. That's a a clear and obvious one. God grieves when people are lost and deceived by lies. God grieves when people are self-righteous or turn away from this relationship with Jesus that's so freely offered. And today we see, in this text, we see that God grieves... When we grieve. God grieves when we grieve. That's what we see in this text. We see that Jesus is crying. If you didn't know, that, that I asked the kids this week, we talked about this text, I said, what, is, what does weeping mean? They didn't know. Just so you know. <laughs> they didn't know. I think you all know what that means. Jesus wept. That means Jesus is crying. And it's helpful to see that Jesus doesn't ask us as Christians to be stoic or emotionless. And some of you, I'm this way, I don't get teary about a lot of things. It's just not really who I am. But that's not a requirement of following Jesus that you're just never affected by what's going on and you never experience sadness or you're never uh, angry or you're never disappointed. God doesn't ask that of us because not even Jesus uh, is without emotion. Jesus wept Jesus started to weep. That's what we read in the text. He was started to weep and we read he was greatly disturbed and deeply moved. Like when you watch a, uh, an emotional movie and you're like, it's moving. That's what we want from, from entertainment is something that moves us emotionally, spiritually. Jesus was greatly disturbed and deeply moved. And it's so important to John as he writes this text that he says it twice. He says when Jesus comes to To the tomb of Lazarus, John writes, Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed. It's like he's pointing this out to us, like, This is a surprise to me. Again, he's greatly disturbed. That's part of why he's doing what he's doing here. Jesus wept. Jesus was crying. Jesus knows what it feels like to, to have a depth of sadness. However, this is important to notice. Jesus wasn't sad because of Lazarus' death. That's sort of a weird part of the text. Deb, thank you for pointing out the the context ahead of time. It's really kind of weird that Jesus doesn't start crying when he hears that Lazarus was dead and that he'd been dead for four days. He doesn't start crying when he heard before that that Lazarus was sick. You know, he's not caught up into that emotional anxiety that's generated from sickness and death, which is sort of weird, but also really interesting. I wonder if maybe it's because Jesus knows the depth of his power. And Jesus also sees the big picture. He has a vision of God's kingdom and and what that means for the ushering in of God's kingdom. And now Jesus wasn't depressed over the realities of life. He didn't try to deny them or pretend like, well, no, I'm never going to get old and, or people don't ever get old and die or sickness never happens and it's all going to be okay. He's not caught up, caught up in denial or anger or depression. He just accepts the realities of life. But yet Jesus weeps. And what we see is that Jesus wept when He came near to Mary and Martha when he noticed the others that were gathered with Mary and Martha and that they were all weeping. Now to me, this shows us that Jesus has empathy for human sadness. Empathy is about feeling the emotions of another person and understanding what it's like for them. Jesus feels this emotional pain from the loss of Lazarus and what he meant to these people. Jesus felt this human sadness and that's when he began to cry when he noticed Mary and Martha and the others crying then he starts to cry loss invokes emotional pain and our God feels the pain of our sadness as we feel it even if intellectually he knows that it's all gonna be okay that there's life beyond this death or 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 that new life can be brought even within this sadness still Jesus wept. He was greatly disturbed. He was deeply moved. And again, John reiterates this. He says, again, this guy, Jesus, was greatly disturbed. I can't even believe what I'm seeing. And while Jesus was feeling their sadness, He doesn't stay there. He doesn't go deep down into the sadness. He actually gives Mary and Martha and the others who are gathered there a way forward within their grief. A way to not stay in sadness, but to experience the resurrection power of God within it. Take away the stone, he says. Take that stone right there. And roll it away. And the response is a relatable human response, isn't it? I mean, Lazarus has been dead for four days. They say, uh, it's going to stink. <laughs> it's... Just saying, Jesus, it's going to be bad. He's been dead for four days. That's doubt. That's hearing what Jesus says, and and, and Jesus is saying, here, this is what you should do. Trust me on this. And they said, no, he's been dead for four days. That's doubt. I wonder if they said, "Uh, isn't that stone that's in front of the tomb, isn't that pretty heavy? I'm not sure I want to do that. There's cynicism by some. They see the emotional response of Jesus, and they say, well, he could have stopped this from happening. That's cynicism, isn't it? Yeah, that's bitterness. He could have prevented this altogether and some of us stay stuck in that spot of where we don't even want to move through our grief because we're just so focused on blaming other people or maybe God for the situation in the first place. But the consequence is being stuck. Fear enters in. What's going to happen? What is he going to do? He wants us to go into this tomb. This is crazy. And, friends, when, when these postures settle in during times of sadness and grief, our hearts become hardened. Nothing gets in and nothing gets out. And with sadness, this can lead to depression. If we hang on to that posture of sadness and even anger, I've heard a definition of depression that it's anger towards a situation. That's turned, that ends up being turned inward, that becomes buried. And so sometimes if we don't grieve our losses, we can find ourselves in seasons or prolonged periods of depression, though not all depression. I need to say this very clearly. I struggle with depression, mostly uh, seasonal depression, to where it just doesn't make sense, this emotional Uh, sadness and just kind of heaviness of things and it just is really a struggle and some of it is because I've not grieved some of my losses and some of it is what doctors call like a chemical imbalance and so I accept that and I'm not going to simplify this to all depression is because you've not grieved your losses do you hear me in that okay good (laughs) because there's a lot there's a lot to depression I accept that fully but if we find ourselves in prolonged sadness or in depression, we can ask ourselves if we really want to find a way through it. If we're grieving and we say, I, I'm really feeling sad about this and it just is really clouding everything that I'm experiencing, we should ask ourselves, and we can ask ourselves, what is the source or the root of this sadness? Get as specific as you can. What is the source of this? What's the root And if you can think of a lot of things, then specify each one. Because sometimes we don't move through our grief because we've got a whole list. It's like, I don't even know where to start. The only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time, right? (laughs) I Just heard that. Didn't plan on saying that, Kyle. (laughs) But we have to narrow it down if we want to move forward, you know? We have to say, what specifically am I... uh, What specifically am I like feeling loss about sometimes this has been true with me it's been regret or guilt or shame or remorse for the past a lot of times that's the oversimplified explanation of depression is depression is of the past and anxiety is about the future anxiety is fear of the future depression is about things that happened that we can't change in the past and so get as specific as you can with those things and then ask yourself, what choices do I have in this season? I can't change a lot of the things, but what choices do I have? Because I probably have some choices. What doors has God opened? Or maybe what steps has God shown me? How can I open myself to others and to God's grace? I talk about recovery a lot. One of the one of the phrases that i come back to the most often is that we say isolation is the enemy. And that's true for everyone. That's why the surgeon general is putting out these warnings because isolation is the enemy. That's when the enemy, the spiritual enemy, Satan, the evil one, the devil, whatever you want to call uh that evil force in our world, that's when the enemy gets into us. When we isolate ourselves, maybe not physically, I think most of you who are here today aren't isolating yourselves physically, but we can become really good at isolating ourselves emotionally or spiritually. You know, just keeping that part of us just kind of tucked away, like there's the tomb back there. I'm just going to keep that part tucked away so that nobody else can can, uh, see it or know that that's happening. Isolation is the enemy. I remember... And when I was going through re- recovery, uh, when recovery was a new thing for me as a codependent, codependent is being affected by somebody else's drinking or drug use or behaviors, and it affects you. It changes the way that you look at life. It changes the way that you respond to life as well. And I remember as I was going through the 12 steps a year and a half ago, two years ago, it was creating a lot of emotional pain, right? Because I was specifying all these things that I felt... Uh, regret or shame or guilt over I was writing them out and thinking about them a lot, and it was creating a lot of emotional pain and it did not feel good it was not <laughs> it was not fun. but what I discovered in that experience was that community was key. they say that you shouldn 't go through of the 12 steps without a sponsor and i would say you shouldn't go through the 12 steps without a group of people who you can at least process some of the things you're learning uh, with them because otherwise you're just sitting alone with all those things as you stir them up and as i was going through all these things i really didn't want to talk about or face in my life that i needed to grieve i would share them with sometimes just one other person or with the group and I didn't even want to. I would shut down. I would say, I'm not going to talk about this. And then the people would draw it out of me because they cared about me. And we would hold that space together. Just even going to those recovery meetings to celebrate recovery and Al-Anon, just even going there was a way that I was trying to take away the stone. Just showing up in the first place. And then I found ways to, to like bring the light and love of Jesus into those situations. And I'm, I'm a completely different person emotionally and spiritually because I went through that emotional pain <laughs> facing those losses. Jesus says, take away the stone. Well, that's letting love into our pain and loss. That's why I'm sharing this recovery example with you. It doesn't have to be recovery for you. Taking away the stone is letting love into your pain and loss, not just trying to bury it. Taking away the stone means making room to receive God's power and grace. It's just making space in our heart. Taking away the stone means making room for the possibility of resurrection and redemption. Jesus says, I am making all things new that you will become a new creation. Well, not if you stay in the tomb. Not if you block it out. Not if you just bury it all the time. Like, it's fine. I don't need to talk about it. I don't even need to think about it. I'm just going to... A dear friend of mine says, plow through. <laughs> just keep moving. You know, don't, don't... You know, just leave the past lied, lie there. And that's a good saying, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's good. Sometimes we have to do that. But sometimes we have to acknowledge our loss and face it intentionally. Move through it. Friends, rolling away the stone, taking away the stone, means letting the love in. It's difficult work. I wish I could tell you it's a good time. It is not a good time. It's not fun. But the other option is to stay with the status quo. And if you've suffered with depression, as I am willing to say that I do at times, Staying in depression or in sadness over something that could be changed is much worse than facing the pain and moving through it, growing through it. This kind of work is difficult work. It stinks, just like it would have with Lazarus. It's heavy. It's vulnerable. I think that's why we avoid it. But that's also why Paul says in Galatians, this is a verse we all really like, In theory, in our minds, we really like this, but lived out, it's much harder. Paul says in Galatians, bear one another's burdens. I'm not saying pretend to bear one another's burdens. You have to have a burden that you're willing to bring so that others can bear it with you. That's what I see in recovery. That's what I see sometimes in Christian small groups when the people are willing to be vulnerable. I see someone bring a burden to the group and others uplift them. That's what happened with Joanne Butson. We saw the group carry Joanne's burden. And I saw how powerful that was in changing her emotional and spiritual state, even in her 90s. You're not off the hook if you're, if you're getting older. Sorry. Not, it it's not, does not exclude you. The first steps, friends, are naming your losses. Just name them. Get specific about them express them in prayer that's what we call a lament scripture is full of laments 75 nearly 75 out of 150 psalms are lament psalms this is hard god journaling can be helpful group can be extremely helpful though you need to build trust so consistency is key talking with a therapist or a pastor i I say this every week i think I think I say this every week. It is my greatest honor when someone shares something really vulnerable and hard with me. That is like when I most come alive. It's like, okay, God, I know without a doubt you're working in my life now because this person is sharing something with me that's super hard. And then I get to share whatever insight or empathy I might have within me. Maybe a tool or or whatever. Talk with a therapist, a pastor, a trusted friend sometimes is all we need. Just someone that you can trust. And it's a vulnerable feeling. It really is. It's vulnerable. I still hate it. Every time I hate it. I don't want to talk about this. I resist it. No. Keep that, keep that stone in place, please. It's a vulnerable feeling. But vulnerability is the soft heart that Jesus heals and makes into a new creation by His grace and power. And that's how we share our faith. It's just then saying what Jesus did. I don't know about all those questions about the faith, but this is what Jesus did in my heart when I was, when I was struggling, when I was hurting. Friends, in this season of Lent, may we all have the courage and faith to identify and grieve our losses to willingly move forward with Jesus, giving Him more of our heart, expecting loss, and maybe even grief, but also expecting to see the glory of God within us and among us by Jesus' power and grace. Amen. So let's uh, take just about 30 seconds. Let's take about 30 seconds to pray to God in whatever way you're feeling appropriate. Uh, maybe this is a time of lament. God, why are you allowing this to happen? If you would have done something different, I wouldn't even be here. Uh, maybe it's a time of asking God, of, of request. God, please help me to open my heart because I don't know how. Maybe it's, Lord, would you please come into this situation and and bring your love and light and healing? Just spend this time with God in whatever way you feel is appropriate for you and then uh, I'll bring us together in prayer. Jesus you know from your experience living this life that uh, you've made this world to be full of loss loss that uh, brings emotional pain for us and you've also given us the gift of these stages of grief though you didn't necessarily call it those stages somebody else interpreted it as those stages you've given us these uh, responses to our grief that can protect us at times and help us to move through it to uh, find a way to hunker down and experience the storm, but then You also invite us to move through our grief, to grieve our losses, to let go of those things that have caused pain, to open our hearts to You and to the possibilities from Your resurrection power, working not just in, for heaven one day, but in our experiences now, bringing a new creation, a new day. So Jesus, we... We trust that you are present with us despite our doubts, despite our sadness, despite possible cynicism. We trust that you are with us, God, and we invite you into our tomb. We ask that you would bring light and healing and hope, Jesus, first for us and then for those around us so that we could tell those stories of what you've done.